you'll turn in your Bibles to uh, page 13 in the Pew Bible. You'll find our passage this morning, page 13 in the Pew Bible. It's Genesis chapter 15. I'll read the chapter. Genesis chapter 15. God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and unchanging word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and an heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, uh, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. I really thought I was over this cold. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. (coughs) As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you will go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, and the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless this word, and may he write this word on our hearts. May he grant grace to the preacher to get through the sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus, this story that we've read, you, I'm sure is familiar to you, 
should be familiar to you. It's one of the great stories in all of Scripture, and it's one of the narratives on which the New Testament capitalizes repeatedly, especially the Apostle Paul, as he seeks to explain, for example, to the Romans, the Roman Christians, the Roman congregation, and the Galatian congregation, the nature of the gospel and how it is that we are right before God. And he quotes Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And from that he derived his doctrine of justification with God, righteousness with God, that is the declaration that God makes that we are righteous, not for anything done by us or anything in us, uh, but only for the sake of Christ's righteousness that he accomplished for us and that's credited, imputed, reckoned to us. And all of that received through faith alone. So this uh, passage, particularly Genesis 15:6, is very dear to our hearts, but this whole narrative is, is very rich. I'm tempted to, to talk like Pastor Gordon and say how this is the greatest passage in all of Scripture and and I've never been so excited, but it, it is a marvelous passage, and I am uh, very excited. I've had opportunity, opportunity this year to give some thought to Abraham. We've, we've been, as a faculty, thinking about Abraham a bit, and, and in the course of my work, I end up speaking to folks and writing about Abraham a bit, and, uh, because Abraham is, in some ways, a, a foreign character to a lot of American Christians. He was to me. I... I remember when my, uh, one of my, in my early, very early Christian pilgrimage, a, a friend of mine, also named Scott, said to me in passing, he thought he had concluded that we are, in fact, children of Abraham. And I remember thinking, whoa, that sounds pretty radical. I'd never, in, in the circles where I was, we didn't talk that way. Abraham was in the Old Testament. He was far away and... and he was like a pro, kind of a, a, a proto-Moses. He was Moses before Moses. And so just as we were done with Moses, we were done with Abraham, and we really don't have anything to do with him. And of course, it, it didn't help matters that I knew nothing of the book of Romans, nor the book of Galatians, nor Ephesians, really. I, I didn't know much of anything, but I wasn't alone. And I found over the succeeding uh, 40 years remarkably, um, that uh, I, I wasn't alone. That lots of us don't realize the connection we have to Abraham. And that the Apostle Paul makes a very direct connection in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, sorry, that Abraham is our father. If you believe in Jesus, you're only doing what Abraham did. And of course, our Lord Jesus said that in John eight fifty six. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. In fact, the New Testament, as the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament broadly, consistently portray Abraham as a believer looking forward to the Messiah. And then in the New Testament, we get a clearer sense of, of that in which he believed. And as I say, our Lord Jesus is bold enough to say that he saw my day. The book of Hebrews paints Abraham with the other faithful as a Christian looking forward to Christ. This passage describes a period that occurred, or an episode that occurred about 2,000 years before Christ. So here we are right in the beginning of the 21st century, so 4,000 years ago. In most of your Bible dictionaries and atlases, they will point you to a, a location of 
there were uh, of Ur in southern Mesopotamia, sort of southern Iraq, and if you ask the Chaldean Christians in El Cajon, they will tell you, yes, he's from, Abraham is from the southern part of Iraq. But in fact, uh, there's a, a good case to be made. My old professor, you know, Old Testament professor, uh, Professor Klein, argued that, and, his, and one of his teachers argued, and, and bef- probably 50 years ago, uh, a lot of scholars believe that, in fact, he was from a place called Elba, if you look on a map, which is near Syria. If you, uh, if you pay attention to the news, you've seen the town of Aleppo in Syria on the news. So if you look on Google Maps, look for Aleppo, just a little bit south of there is probably the, the place where Abraham is, is from. Uh, and he just went pretty much straight south and then a little bit west to get to Canaan. Uh, he came from a polytheistic area. There were, in, in, uh, in this place, in, in this Elbaite kingdom, 500 gods. And the book of Joshua tells us that Abraham came from a, a polytheistic pagan place, and so he did. So you, you, you mustn't imagine that Abraham came to the faith as a pious man. You must understand that Abraham was just another Gentile pagan. That's hugely important. God did not choose Abraham, love Abraham, elect Abraham, give faith, new life and true faith to Abraham because of anything in Abraham. He did not look down the corridor of time and see what Abraham would be, or what Abraham would do, or that Abraham would be particularly good. Because as you know from Pastor Gordon's series, Abraham wasn't particularly good. He shaded the truth uh, at crucial opportunities when he had, when he had opportunity, uh, crucial events where he had opportunity to tell the truth, give witness to the truth. He lied, he finagled, he managed, he tried to control, and ultimately tried to take the promise of God into his own hands. The major god that they served in Elba, where he's from, Ur, Right, the northern Ur, this is called sometimes. There are lots of, as it turns out, there are lots of Urs across this area, which makes it a little complicated. The major God he served is the God you know from the book of Judges and, and 1 Samuel. And that's Dagon. And so likely that was one of his religious affiliations. So we need to see that Abraham uh, began his uh, life as a pagan, and that God called him out of paganism. He was a Gentile, and that he called, and this is very important for us particularly, I think, he called him to faith as a Gentile. So that as Paul says, Abraham Abraham believed before he was circumcised, and so he's the father of all Gentile Christians, and Abraham believed after he was circumcised, and so he's the father of all Jewish Christians. There are three things that, that I think we ought to see uh, from this text. Uh, and, and the first is that, uh, well, they all start with S, and I changed one of them, I, so the, your bulletin's not quite correct, and that's my fault. I, in fact, I'm going to cheat a couple of times here. Um, God uh, is his shield, promised him a son. We could say seed, but son maybe is a little more uh, accurate, <coughs> and promised to be his savior. And then I'm going to change another thing here in a moment, but we'll, we'll get there. In verse 1, 
God comes to uh, Abram and he says, fear not. And if you trace out that expression in Scripture, almost always what comes after those words is good news. When God comes to us and he says, fear not, Scripture almost always announces good news, and so it is here. That's your clue that God is about to announce good news to Abraham. Fear not, he says. Uh, Your English text says, and it may well be correct, uh, I am your shield. That noun there for shield uh, can be uh, understood a little differently because in Hebrew, the you know, we have the consonants, and the vowel points are a little fluid, little tiny marks. And the difference between one vowel and another in this case is one tiny little mark. And if we change that one mark, which is, which is possible, it actually changes the word from shield to gift, although they are conceptually related because you could have a, a sort of ceremonial, decorative, jeweled thing that you could present to somebody as a gift. <clears throat> so that's probably the, something like the connection. So your text, your English text says shield, and that, <clears throat> as I say, may well be correct. But it, it, it might also be, and it makes a little more sense in view of what comes next, to understand this to be gift. Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the sovereign God who made all that is, the sovereign God who's going to come to Moses and say, I am that I am. The sovereign God is going to deliver his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground and apparently drown the Egyptians in very little water. This is a great miracle for which the Lord does not get enough credit. That sovereign, almighty, powerful, covenant-making God came to Abraham and said, Hello, Abraham. I'm the God who is. And all these stupid gods that you've been worshiping, all these vain gods, all these dumb gods, gods who don't speak, all these deaf gods, gods who can't hear, all these worthless idols that you've been serving, who cannot hear you, cannot help you, didn't make you, cannot save you, I am here to announce myself to you and to enter into a a remarkable relationship with you, out of which will issue, ultimately, the most amazing fulfillment that you will only understand through types and shadows. You will only understand through types and shadows. But through those types and shadows, the Lord enabled him to see what he needed to see. Fear not, Abram. I am your gift. Your, and the old translation says, and, and this is arguably a, a good translation, your very great reward. I am your gift. And, and of course, Abram doesn't get it right away. He comes back to the Lord, and we see this then in, in the next section, verses 2 through 6. He immediately starts negotiating with Yahweh for a son. It's really quite extraordinary. If God Almighty appeared to you, it would seem to me that the most reasonable thing to do would be to fall on your face and say, this is really quite mind-blowing. This is quite astounding. Uh, what, what can I do for you? 
How, what, what would you like me to do, Almighty God? Since you've chosen to enter into a relationship, a very special relationship with me, a pagan, out of Ur of the Chal- Chaldees. But remarkably, his first response is, Oi, what are you going to do for me? You come to me making promises I don't even have an heir. This guy who works for me, Eliezer, he's going to be my heir. You haven't done anything for me. You come to me and call me. He, he virtually, this is almost like Job. He virtually challenges Yahweh. It's really very, have you ever thought about it? It's remarkable. This is the definition of chutzpah. <clears throat> but it's also evidence of faith. Abraham immediately knew by the grace of God that this is a God who is real. This is a God who hears. This is a God who is able to do things. This is a God who is able to change things. This is a God who is able to answer prayer. So immediately he petitions Abram. He petitions Yahweh. He He recognizes in his own way Yahweh as the God. And he says to him, Oh, and we see this in verse 2, Oh, Yahweh, or, oh, or, oh, oh, sorry, O oh, Almighty God, O oh, Lord God, the God, not just a God, not part of a pantheon, but the God who is, what will you give me? Because I continue childless, and the heir, as I say, is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram continues in verse 3, and he says, Behold, you've, you've given me no offspring. So then Eliezer, of course, is going to be the heir. And look what happens next in, in verse 4. And this is why I think gift is the right way to understand verse 1. And, and the word of Yahweh, and that's God's covenant name that's used here, comes to him and says, This man, Eliezer, will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. The first thing that uh, so uh, Abraham, uh, Abram asks for a gift. What will you give me? Because Yahweh says, I'm your gift. Well, what will you give me? Gift, Yahweh. Give me a son. And so what does Yahweh graciously say? I will give you a son. And look at verse 5. He, he brought him outside. This is all very unlikely. Abraham's an old man. It's quite improbable. But Yahweh says, look up toward heaven, and look at the stars. I don't know how it is now. When I first moved here in 1984, we were all encouraged back then, and maybe things have changed, um, to keep our lights down and to have, right, not turn your night lights on, your porch lights, and right, Escondido was supposed to be a low-light city, and if you look at the street lights, they're not as bright as they are in other places, and that was all I was told for Palomar, so that the astronomers could see, we wouldn't have light pollution. And, and so and I think to some degree that's still somewhat true, right? Escondido is probably not as, not as much light pollution at night. And so if you go out at night, especially you get away from town or get up on a hill, you can really see the stars here. And of course, wh- where I'm from, you go five minutes and there, there are no lights, <laughs> there's no electricity, <laughs> there's no anything. And you can see the stars. And it's... And so it's, uh, right? Abraham is a, a, 
a fellow who was probably well aware of the heavens and able to look up and see all of those stars. And of course, you can't count them. Children try this sometimes. Go out at night, you know, tell your mom and dad before you do, make sure they know where you are. I'll just wander off, but go out, you know, in the backyard and just try to count the stars. Right? Make a little box, kind of. Right? You have to sort of make a box. You have to start somewhere and just start counting and see what happens. See how far you get. There are a lot of stars. I have no idea how many stars there are, but there are a lot of stars. And that's what Abram saw. Lots of stars. And Yahweh came to Abram and said, I'm going to give you as many offspring as there are stars in the sky. What a marvelous promise God made to this old former pagan. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And out of that son, marvelous things are going to happen that you're not ready to understand yet. But I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to give you many, many sons. Here's a really important point embedded in this section of Genesis 15. Sometimes some interpretations of Abraham and this promise and the other promises in, in chapter 12 and chapter 17 want us to choose between the seed and the seeds that come after. We don't have to choose. Yes, Galatians 3 says that, and the seed is one, right? That seed was Christ, that's right. But that's not to say that there are, all, there are not also seeds in Christ, God promised both a Savior, a Son, a seed, and that he would include in that seed, that Son, that Savior, many, many seeds. And I call you all as my witnesses. Look at you. Where are we? We're in Escondido, California. We're quite a ways from Ur of the Chaldees. I'm a Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles, ethnically. And here we are, worshiping a crucified, buried, raised, and ascended Jewish Messiah, whom Paul says, whom Scripture says, was the seed. We are seeds in him. We are sons in him. God fulfilled his promise. He's still fulfilling his promise. As I said this morning in the prayer, there are about a million Reformed Christians in just Benway State in south-central Nigeria. There are millions of believers all over the world about whom we only know theoretically. Millions in China, so many now that the government in China is cracking down because they're worried, because they see Christianity as a Western influence, which is tragic. It isn't Western. Nothing Western about Christianity. Jesus wasn't a Western figure. The Apostle Paul is not a Western figure. But that's how they see it. Friends of mine went to um, what was then called Zaire, now again called the Congo. They wandered into a village and, and nailed to a, a shabby little building was a sign that said in, in French, Reformed Confessing Church of Zaire. They'd been listening to Reverend Kayan on the Back to God Hour and they'd been brought to faith, true li new life and true faith and they'd formed a congregation on their own spontaneously. That's the power of the Holy Spirit fulfilling the promise that God made 
Abraham, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to doubt that God is faithful to his word. We're living proof. You're living proof that God is faithful to his word. And then the most remarkable thing happens here in verse 6. And he, that's Abram, and the text literally says, and there's a reason to think this is what it means to say, not just that he believed him, which is certainly true, and the Apostle Paul says this, but the Hebrew text can be translated, and Abraham amend him. Abraham wasn't justified because he had faith. He was justified by the grace of God through faith. God gave Abraham grace to assent, to believe, to trust. And all he could say was, Amen. And the, uh, and the argument is, uh, according to one <coughs> interpreter that I, uh, I think is probably right, he said it audibly. If you trace out the way this word is used, this is, the, this is related to the word you know as amen. Abraham amend him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the biblical doctrine of imputation. God imputed righteousness to Abraham, credited righteousness to Abraham. That's the basis on which Abraham was righteous before God. He hadn't time to do anything. He was a pagan. God gave him new life and true faith. Children, this is how God works. He works powerfully, marvelously, mysteriously through these messages. When your pastor is up here preaching and he's announcing the gospel, this is what God the Spirit uses to bring you to new life. And if you believe now, it's what the Spirit has already used. This is why we're we're so zealous to have you here. We want you here because however ordinary this sermon certainly is, and, and however extraordinary Pastor Gordon's sermons are, or anybody else's sermons in this pulpit, These are the things that God's chosen to use to accomplish his purposes. And he accomplished his purpose through the word. Did you notice that the word of Yahweh came to Abram? And that's how the Holy Spirit brought Abram to new life and true faith. And through faith justified him on the basis of the righteousness of Christ that hadn't even been accomplished yet. Abram was justified by grace alone through faith alone looking forward 2,000 years in advance to what Jesus would do. But the same Holy Spirit who has brought us into the covenant of grace and given us all the benefits of the covenant of grace was operating through those types and shadows, in those types and shadows, under those types and shadows, in, with, and under, administering the covenant of grace to Abram. Not just giving witness to it, but actually operating through it marvelously to bring Abram to new life and true faith and to promise him a son. Last thing, God not only promises him to be his gift or his shield but to, and to give him a son, but he did more than that. He promised him a Savior. And you see this in verses 7 through 21, and I know this is a longish section, but we'll go through it fairly quickly. And notice how the Lord speaks again. The Lord announces, this is a formula. This is a covenant 
making formula. And he says, I am Yahweh, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. You're going to go south, you're going to go through Haran, and then you're going to go into Canaan. And again, Abram comes back in verse 8, and he says, but, right, Lord God, right, Almighty God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Yahweh says, bring, bring me a heifer, right? bring me goat, bring me a ram, turtle dove, pigeon. And, and in, look at this, verse 10, Abram knows what to do. Abram brings them, and he cuts them in half, except for the birds, they're a little small for cutting in half. What is this all about? Again, children, don't try this at home, but the, um, this, this is how business deals and government contracts were made in the ancient world. You do this all the time. You, you didn't know it. There's no bloodshed. Normally, there's no bloodshed when you're getting a mortgage. I suppose paper cuts are an ever-present ever threat. They're really, you know an experienced bureaucrat, they have those little rubber tips on their fingers. They know what can happen with reams of paper. And you know when you're signing, mom and dad, you were signing all of those papers and initialing page after page after page on that mortgage. You know what you were saying? You were saying, may it be to me as it is to these animals if I break this covenant. You were swearing a covenant to make the mortgage payment. You were, swe you were swearing what scholars call a self-maledictory oath. You were saying, if I fail to make the mortgage payment, I understand that a couple of guys named Guido are going to show up and make sure you make the payment. We're going to It'd be a shame if something should happen to this nice house. And if, and if that carries on, a couple of guys, a couple of sheriff's deputies are going to be at your doorstep. And they're just going to haul you out, and it's not yours anymore. It's all gone. And the most remarkable thing about this covenant-making uh, business is that it involves the shedding of blood, but it's not Abram who's making promises through the course of this shedding of blood. Look who... Look who makes the promise. It, here come the birds, verse 11. Abram drives them, get away, birds, I'm making a covenant. Verse 12, as the sun goes down, the Lord put Abram in, in a deep sleep. This is divine anesthesia. Abram, I want you to understand, this is by grace. This is by unearned favor. You didn't do anything. You didn't earn anything. You haven't cooperated. You haven't exercised your free choice. I haven't come to you and, and uh, given you a little bit with which now I'm prepared to cooperate, as they said in the, ancient, in the medieval church. I am freely, sovereignly, unconditionally coming to you. I am making you a royal grant and so that you'll understand that you've done nothing to deserve this, nothing to keep this, nothing to earn this, nothing by which to qualify yourself. I'm going to put you to sleep. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your, Abram, your, your offspring will be sojourners. I am going to, make, I'm going to keep my promise. You're going to have offspring. It's not going to be Eliezer. And you're going to be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and, be, and you'll be servants there. You're going, you're going to go to Egypt is what he's saying in verse 13. Verse 14, I will bring judgment on the nation. I'll bring judgment on Egypt. And they shall come out with great possessions. 
And of course, all of that came true. Israel literally left Egypt with the spoils of Egypt, with all of their stuff. As for you, verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, right, 400 years later. That's what fourth generation means. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Look at verse 17. And when the sun had gone down, it was very dark. And behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Abram didn't go between the pieces. God went between the pieces in the form of the smoking fire pot. God went between the pieces. And he swore implicitly on himself the curses of this self-maledictory oath. May it be to me as it is to these animals that are cut apart in half. And he went right between the pieces. If I don't keep my promise. If I don't keep my promise. And on that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I'm going to give you offspring. And I'm going to give you the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. And, then, and I'm going to dispossess all of these nations, these basically Canaanite nations, pagan nations. God here promises that he, I, am the gift. I am your reward. I will give you a son. Now listen. I want you to think with me. You ready to think? You awake? Who came to Abram? Which of the, tr- of the persons of the Holy Trinity? Was it the Holy Spirit who led them through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? No. Was it the Father or was it the Son who is our gift, who became incarnate and who figuratively walked between the pieces. Jesus came and he fulfilled this maledictory oath. He kept the covenant. He was not crucified between animals, but he was crucified between two malefactors. And he was innocent. He was righteous. He was holy. All he had done all of his earthly life was to love his father with all of his faculties and his neighbor as himself. And he loved his neighbor so much. For God so loved sinners that he gave his only begotten son. And he went between the pieces at the cost of his own, at the cost of his own life. The father certainly sent him. But the son willingly came willingly came. He said to the Father from all eternity, Father, I will go. I will go for them. I will, I will redeem the people whom you have given me. The Father gave him a people, and we know that from John chapter 17. Jesus said, it's done. I have done all that you gave me to do. I have come to redeem the people that you gave me. I don't pray for the For the rest, I pray for those whom you gave me, the sheep, the flock for whom I laid down my life. And he laid it down. 
He kept the promise. He fulfilled the oath. He is the gift. He is the Son. He is the Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not sure about this, I understand Abraham was doubtless perplexed. I'm just calling on you to put your trust in the God who so loved sinners that he came, knowing what he would endure. And he fulfilled the promise. Won't you trust that God this morning? Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we give you great thanks and praise this morning for your mercy to us in Christ Jesus. Abram did nothing to deserve your grace. He was just a lost pagan in Ur of the Chaldees. And so were we by nature, dead in sins and trespasses, and yet here we are. And we bless you and praise you and glorify you this morning for your great love to us in Christ that you have given yourself to us as a gift, and that when you say to us now, fear not, we don't fear. You've given your Son, and Son of God, you gave yourself as our Savior. Relieve our doubts, renew our faith, and bless us this Sabbath day with a renewed confidence that the God who loved us so much loves us still. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen.